Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Great to be with you. Our topic today is spaciousness, avoiding the traps that steal our margin. Spaciousness, what a great word. That's why it's our theme today. It refers to having large or ample room in our lives versus being cramped or restricted or narrow, feeling confined. Spaciousness is about having a cup, spiritual, relational, emotional, that's full. That's we're able to engage in activities uh, externally because we've got an inner reserve out of which it can flow. So some of the signals or symptoms that you know that your life is not spacious right now is you find yourself rushing a lot or you can't shake the pressure that you've got so much to do in so little time. Well, you're late a lot, or perhaps you're saying you're sorry a lot to people because you're just not able to fulfill everything you're saying you're going to do, or you're just tired physically or emotionally or spiritually. Uh, your body is often screaming, stress, uh, there's anxiety, there's a tightness. Uh, people close to you are perhaps saying to you things like, like where are you? Or you, you feel like you're not actually growing in Jesus personally because, again, as it says in, in Mark 4 in the Sower and the Seed parable, uh, there's thorns there. You know, you, you've got the, uh, as Jesus talked about, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. You've got so much happening in your own soil. There's no room for the seeds to take root and actually blossom. Or perhaps you're finding yourself making decisions quickly, uh, and some of those are actually bad, and then you have to unravel the consequences of that later. So the list goes on. But just ask yourself, on a scale of 1 to 10, how spacious are you feeling? Listen, it is one of the great, great gifts that we can give the people that we leave, if not the greatest gift. Uh, because people, uh, 95% of the people that I know or the folks that you're leading and I'm leading are scattered and fragmented and overloaded. But we can, by God's grace, uh, mature into being spacious men and women, spacious leaders. It's actually possible, a, a life of rich communion with Jesus, rich communion with yourself, rich communion with others, and then the fruit of the Spirit is flowing out of you, joy, peace, love, kindness. And, and then your, your soil is, is great soil, so that the seeds that God's bringing into your life uh, are able to multiply 30, 60, 100-fold. This is actually, this is a life work. Uh, we don't ever quite arrive. It's actually the application of this whole theology of limits. So we talk a lot about it in, in uh, you know, EH Discipleship and here in this podcast and uh, and everything. We do books, the course, EH Discipleship course, about a framework to slow the church down, to slow down so we can be disciples deeply transformed by Jesus. And I found out many, many years ago, decades, that just reemphasizing spiritual disciplines is not enough. I tried it myself. But it was the riches of uh, the monastic tradition, the a slow down spirituality, which actually goes back to the beginning uh, in, in the Old Testament as well as New. This goes back to all Moses, Elijah, John the Baptist, Jesus, then the Desert Fathers, and and in two thousand years of, of monasticism, this this slow down spirituality of spaciousness, where we allow God to do a profound work inside of us, out of which everything flows, and so we landed on some very core elements for that foundation for spaciousness uh, that we talk about a lot. Having this podcast, it's core to the EH Discipleship course, part one and two, things like Sabbath and the daily office and silence and stillness and pausing not once a day, but two, three, four times a day, creating a rule of life out of which I monitor the 
my my relationships, my prayer life, my rest, along with my work, so that Jesus is in the center, out of which I'm of everything I do, and so I'm receiving enough from Him, out of which I'm giving out to the world. And so we talk about the rule of Saint Benedict. We've talked about sabbaticals in different podcasts, and the need to really step away from our work every six, seven years for a good three to four months to unplug, get perspective, have enough space to and perspective to reframe what's God doing in the big picture of my life and the lives of those I'm leading so I can see and hear where God wants to take us. So today I want to talk about the traps, eight traps in particular, that steal our margin. In fact, before I get launched on this, let me just invite you uh, to check out and uh, download one of our free resources uh, at emotionallyhealthy.org slash dailyoffice. And it's actually a little, it's a tool to help you get started on actually uh, creating some rhythms in your life to create space in your day to actually hear God. And uh, again, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash dailyoffice, check it out. Uh, it's a tool I created early on in my own journey to create space and not just be do, 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 go, go, go. And it was revolutionary for me uh, when I started this journey that we call Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, and I commend it to you. So again, the following now I'm going to give you is eight traps. I'm going to imagine you're sitting here at the table with me at my desk, and uh, we're going to unpack a bit more. How do I create a spacious life that's that's got margin to it? All right, so... Here it is. And you can add to this list uh, as, again, as I said earlier, this is a life work, uh, but I trust you'll, one or two of these will really help you uh, right now where you're, where you're living. Trap number one is that we severely underestimate how long things take. Trap one is we severely underestimate how long th- things take. Just assume you think it's going to take a week, it's going to take two. Double it. Uh, is a good rule of thumb. You think it's a uh, it's gonna a two hour commitment. It's probably gonna be four. It's time you drive there, get back, pray, think about it. This is I, I made this trap number one. This severe underestimation of how long things take because it's been so big for me. So I may say, yeah, I'll preach for you on a on a Sunday service on which 30, 40 minutes. I I've preached that message multiple times. Well, that's maybe true, but. Uh, I may think I don't need any notes because I know it so well, but no, there's this preparation needed spiritually, uh, emotionally. The audience is going to be different. I'm different. Uh, what God wants to say to this particular group of people is different. What's God's invitation for them? I'm giving out energy, the life of God inside of me. And so it's not just walking in because I'm going to church anyway and speaking 30, 40 minutes. It's a much larger commitment. I would say double it. I would say quadruple it. Uh, even hiring a new person, you know, we think, or, or, or I'm going to bring on three new people onto our team, again, volunteer or paid, but to do it well, we think, oh, I'll just, I'll just, you know, I'll meet with them on Wednesday afternoons every other week. And, uh, but then there's vetting, even hiring people and ref, getting references. Then there's getting to know people, writing out good job descriptions, seeing how it fits into the larger whole. And then onboarding people just takes time. I mean, it, we severely, trap one is underestimate how long things take. I, you've heard me talk about the four-year rule. When you take on a new position or a role, it takes you four years to actually learn it. I learned that from a very wise mentor many years ago. Uh, year one, we're just getting oriented to the new role as we adjust to it, uh, begin to understand how things fit together. By year two, we're, we're trying some new things uh, that we think will work, but Many of them won't because we're just trying out. By year three, we're able to evaluate the things we're trying and we're seeing some new initiatives are succeeding while others aren't. But by year four, we begin to really accelerate. 
and we wouldn't actually make progress. And so when you think about you maybe you're starting a, a ministry, you're starting a new venture, you're creating a new church culture, you're establishing a new value, do not it's trap one. We severely underestimate how long things take. And if we can step back and say, okay, this is going to take much longer than I thought, we're able to create spaciousness, not feel the pressure, the rush, and the hurry with it. Trap number two to spaciousness that get kills creating margin is this. We overfunction. We do for others uh, what God hasn't asked us to do for them, uh, what they can and often should do for themselves, or at least someone else should be helping them with. Uh, we make one commitment that God's not asked us to do and overfunction for people, and our spaciousness can be gone. I know it well, because I've done it. Now, most of us, we became Christian leaders. Uh, that is because we want to help people. And that often comes from uh, yeah, comes from God, ultimately. But he often will take uh, vulnerabilities from our family of origin that we end up being helpers, people helpers. And uh, then, of course, we're in a position as pastors and Christian leaders, even if we're in, you're in the marketplace, where people expect us to help them and rescue them. And, and, and some of that's helpful. You know, some of that is normal, but for most of us over-functioning, it's second nature. It's in our bloodstream. It's in our families. And it's actually difficult sometimes to identify because we get rewarded for it. You know, and I, again, I've, I'm a, I'm a classic over-functioner and I did it for, uh, I do it, I, I still fall into it, but I think about some of the big yeses I said to overfunction that, uh, have impacted my spaciousness for actually years, uh, whether it was, uh, you know, taking on the responsibility to lead the buying of a building or preaching way more than I should have versus uh, forming a team earlier on or over-pastoring people. I mean, Moses was a classic over-functioner who ended up doing way more than God asked him to do. The problem is when we over-function, uh, we get resentful. We actually perpetuate people's immaturity. Uh, it erodes our own spiritual life and it actually hurts the community. The following is a story from a, a woman uh, who underwent her own radical transformation in this process. And part of her maturing was not rescuing any longer her husband or her children. And so when her husband entered his own dark night of the soul and became depressed, she was so tempted to overfunction and, and rescue him. But here's what she wrote. She goes, I know that he, her husband, must travel into that dark hole and deal with whatever he finds there. I've often protected him from entering that hole. I want to step in and make it better. I need to let him go down into that hole as far as he needs to go and wait to see what returns. That prospect is so scary, yet my soul tells me this is the best path for him and for me. It has to be his choice to travel into that darkness. I cannot force him, nor can I continue to put bandages on a wound that needs much more serious attention. The removal of my shackles has freed me. Great story. And so... She avoided trap two, which is overfunctioning. But God's got a great future for you, uh, a calling on your life that you two would be a blessing just like Abraham. But he's gonna, one of the ways he's gonna get you with that spacious place to hear and respond to God is to not just quit underestimating how long things take, but to quit overfunctioning. But trap number three is this. We get seduced by a wrong Western definition of success. It is easy. Uh, and I know I did for years to, to get seduced by a Western definition of success, which is bigger is better. We're driven by numbers, bigger influence. 
a bigger social media platform, bigger budget or profits or bigger staff or ministry. And the logic is very simple uh, in our culture, which is if you aren't getting bigger, you're probably doing poorly or failing and you're possibly on your way to extinction. What happens when we define success wrongly is our best energies get invested in the wrong ways. And what happens when we're in that trap and it's got a grip on us and it is a grip out of anxiety, we end up making plans, quick plans, and we get stressed, narrow, we wear a yoke that's heavy and hard, and it just inevitably flows into comparing ourselves with other people or envying, and uh, we miss you know, God's very clear definition of success in Scripture, which is doing what God's asked us to do and doing it His way and according to His timetable. We want to be good stewards of that and listen to Jesus, abiding in Him, abounding in Him. And what that's going to look like is going to differ for you than it does for me. We're all in different contexts. We have different temperaments. We're in different seasons of our life. So whether you're a vocational pastor or a bivocational pastor or a nonprofit leader, or maybe you're a business or marketplace leader, it's going to be different for each one of us. But we don't want to get seduced by the Western view of success because it just kills spaciousness. That's why getting immersed and staying immersed in Scripture is so important. Trap number four that keeps us from a, a spacious life, a wide life, a roomy life in God is this. We say yes too quickly to requests and opportunities. We say yes too quickly to requests and opportunities uh, versus saying, hey, let me get back to you on this one. So for example, I may say yes, and we often do this. We Someone asks us to do something and it may be six months out or maybe a year out, sometimes two years out. And we say, well, um, we, look at our, we look at ourselves. I don't have anything going on then. So I say, sure, I'll do it. Uh, but we don't bother getting details. We don't really pray or ponder. We just say, sure. And then before we know it, the day has come or the month has come. We're like, why did I say yes to that? You know, Proverbs 19.2 is a verse worth memorizing where it says, desire without knowledge, the desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty, the hasty miss the way? Or how much more will hasty feet miss the way? Uh, when we're hasty and and say yes quickly, uh, we miss God's way uh, versus being prudent, giving thought to our ways in Proverbs. Uh, now, sometimes someone asks you to do something and you just you just know, like, it's a no, like, you don't, it's not a good fit for you. It's important that you learn to say no right there on the spot. Uh, and uh, because it just eliminates lots of phone calls and back and forths because you already know, like, it's a, it's a clear no. I did that just yesterday. Someone asked me to do something. And a friend of mine, it was a favor. And I just was like, no, it doesn't fit with some of the commitments I've made and as I've thought through priorities. And I just did a quick no. And he said, boy, I really appreciate your clarity on that. Uh, but in the old days, I would not have been a quick no. I would have been a very slow no. I would have dragged it on a couple of phone calls and spent a lot of time taking up space where it wasn't necessary. But so we easily say, and I have done this, oh yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll do your wedding. Uh, not realizing or not taking into account it's a it's a one hour drive away. Uh, they have an expectation that uh, expectations weren't clear and they expect uh, me perhaps to be at the rehearsal and then at the uh, dinner afterwards and uh, maybe do their premarital and that yes to the wedding ended up having all these other tentacles to it or saying, hey, sure, I'll be glad to mentor you or spend time with you, you know, on that issue. And again, not knowing the depth of what we're talking about involved in that. Uh, or sure, I'll write that article uh, for you in, that, in your blog. Or, uh, But again, writing an article takes a lot longer than one thinks. And uh, even, listen, I, I don't write a lot of books. 
uh, I've always, you know, uh, you know, I can say yes real quickly to myself to opportunities, not realizing it takes me uh, a couple of years to write a good book because uh, the way God's built me. Uh, or I say, oh, I can squeeze in speaking. I'll, I'll be sure to stop and speak to your to your group, you know, for 30 minutes or so. Uh, I'm passing through town anyway. Uh, again, just too quickly not realizing all that goes into it. So it, it can be everything, even from putting new volunteers in place or opening a new ministry. And, and so rather, even releasing a person into a new position, you know, 1 Timothy 5.22 says, don't be hasty on the laying on of hands. And do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. In other words, don't go too fast. Don't say yes quickly to new opportunities, even releasing people. Get to know them. So in other words, you need time. Get away from the emotion of the minute, uh, of, of the moment. Uh, talk with maybe a good friend, a spouse, if, if applicable. Look at your calendar. Pray long term. Get clear on your priorities. And I, there was one summer I did seven weddings. Uh, that means Saturdays. Uh, every Saturday, it was on Saturdays. You can imagine, I was su- preaching Sundays. And of course, ch- every church has crises and there's actual running of the church and leading and short-term, mid-term, long-term. It was a, a crammed summer uh, as if I could just squeeze in a wedding and hadn't thought through realistically at the age of our church with so many young people uh, that it was going to take a long time versus just saying to people, hey, you know what, let me... Uh, someone asks you to do something or a new opportunity presents itself, it looks fantastic. You say, let me just pray and ponder that and I'll get back to you. It's not that it doesn't seem wonderful. I wouldn't, I really would like to, but I've got to really discern and I'm, I'm limited uh, in what I can do. Uh, and I want to, you know, pray and ponder it. So I'll get back to you. And it's a very honest answer, but uh, just don't say yes quickly because uh, boy, oh boy, uh the consequences are vast. All right, trap number five, which builds on this trap, is we get fuzzy or unclear about our main assignment from God. We get fuzzy or unclear about our main as- assignment from God. Uh, we try to do everything well. And uh, you know, God has, a at each season, has a primary assignment for us. Uh, listen, there's a big body of Christ. God's working all over the world. We're not to do everything well. Uh, we're not asked to do everything well. God's got a piece for us play in the body of Christ. And if you're pastoring a church or a ministry, you've got a, a particular gift your church brings to the wider church in the city or community where you live. But do less and, and the few things God's given you, do them well. Do a few things well, high quality. So I know my for years I had to wrestle with our, our church wasn't great at everything. I wanted to be great at everything because a, a city like New York here, you have churches that are great at all kinds of things. And the people, of course, are telling you about them. You see them on social media. Uh, but I realized, no, you know what? We've got certain things we do really well here. And, uh, you know, was I committed to evangelism, global missions, church planting? Yes, of course, uh, we did those things. But I had to recognize there's a few things we do really well. Of course, discipleship was one of them, formation, leadership development, especially in the area of emotional healthy discipleship. And so for decades, we focused on that. And, and uh, I had friends who pastors who were very committed to having a church free from debt uh, and buying buildings. Uh, for me, it was much more important to do succession than it was uh, paying off everybody, the church's mortgage. Uh, I had to say no to getting, uh, my main assignment was our local church for years that I was pastoring. And uh, I really believed in citywide, uh, we have a citywide group of pastors, and but I just couldn't, you know, I just, I couldn't make the kind of commitment some would have liked me to have made or I would have liked to make. 
My writing was very limited uh, when I was pastoring because I was pastoring a church and um, I had recognized my, that was my highest priority. So I could write a little bit, but not that much. Even now, as I lead Emotionally Healthy Discipleship as a ministry, I'm the founder, I'm the you know chief visionary officer, but uh, we've got certain priorities. I, I always have a priority list in front of me, four to six priorities for our ministry, and we work on them as a team. And I don't call them goals because goals can feel like yokes to me. I like to call them priorities. And I keep them before me and I update them consistently uh, with our team. I even sometimes do a morning prayer time around them because it keeps me focused on what's my main assignment from God. And uh, it frees me from this fear of, oh, we're missing an opportunity. Keeps me focused on quality, kind of like Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Quadrant two is what's important to do but not necessarily urgent. So even when, for example, we do off-site planning days, and I've been doing this for now for a very long time with our team, uh, I'll always make sure that part one of that time, uh, probably a good third of the time, is going to be on uh, development, being, our being of listening to God, being present with him out of which we do. So I, I you know, may do a scripture study on the sower and the seed or the loaves and fishes, or maybe a poem like fire that you can see that in emotionally healthy leader book on culture and uh, team building chapter. I give an example of that, but I'm going to do a high quality job of we're going to lead out of our being uh, as a team. That's one of our main assignments. I know God's given me to do. And uh, so again, it's not getting distracted on secondary things. Very difficult to do and to stay clear. Uh, you know, there's a great story of which I love, and uh, one of my favorite Desert Father stories when uh, Anthony uh, the Great uh, was uh, received a letter from the emperor in in uh, Constantinople to come and visit him, and uh, he asked uh, a wise disciple who was with him said, "Should I go?" And the wise disciple said to him, "If you go, you will be called uh, Anthony, but if you stay in your cell." With God, you'll be called Abba Anthony. In other words, if you get distracted by going to this great opportunity, uh, uh, you're going to get fuzzy and unclear, and you'll miss your main assignment from God, which is to mature into becoming a father of the faith, uh, out of which you will minister and serve the world. And actually, he did emerge out of the desert eventually and had a fantastic ministry, but it's so easy to get fuzzy. Trap number six. Uh, there's eight. There's eight. We treat the temptation of greed lightly. We treat the temptation of greed lightly. The world runs on money. Uh, everything's about the economy. Uh, it's how people make decisions. It's incredibly powerful. And by the nature of our commitment to Jesus and becoming pastors or leaders, whether vocational or bivocationally, uh, any of your you're you know you're leading a nonprofit or maybe you're a marketplace Christian leader, you've surrendered in a sense the money goal. Uh, it's not your problem, your, your, your number one goal in life. The problem is that even by the fact that we live in a sense, we don't quite have as much opportunity to generate income like others. We desire more and it's a great temptation to be seduced by it. And we end up saying yes to things because it will enable us to generate more income. I'm not against making more money, but the temptation is to take on all these side gigs rather than doing the hard work of discerning. You see an opportunity to say, I'd like to do that. It'll provide some more money. It's not really for me, it's for my family, or I can be able to buy that car. Uh, and I notice in post-COVID, the generation that's at least behind me, Gen Zs, uh, millennials, everyone seems to have side part-time gigs. And because of that, there is, there is just 
no space, uh, very little spaciousness. This is a the issue of greed. I call this the temptation of greed. We treat it lightly because it's a deep spiritual issue. Jesus talked about it as demonic, that mammon is a rival spiritual power to God. Uh, Paul calls it uh, greed. He refers to greed as idolatry. And I think we underestimate the pull of money because it represents security. Uh, and for a spacious life, the issue of greed and money must be broken and tamed. And this coming at you and coming at me, it never ends. Uh, it's a power and principality, Ephesians chapter 6. But to stay on God's priority assignment for you is no small thing. And I can just tell you as a person now in their 60s, that temptation never goes away. Uh, to, to, to not take the temptation of greed lightly. Uh, it is a very powerful one. So you want to be discerning. And are there other ways to address your uh, need for supplemental income in a way that fits into God's assignment for you? Uh, and there are creative ways, I believe, to approach that. Uh, but you want to be very thoughtful, careful, discerning of your own heart, uh, with God, even to the fact that well, I've, I've helped one, more than one leader go to their board and say, uh, I, I need an increase of salary so I can stay focused and not get sidetracked. And many of us have a very hard time doing that. So it may be that you need someone to help you do it. Uh, if I was available, I'd say, yes, let me come help you. Call me up. I'll be glad to talk to your board for you. All right. Trap number seven uh, that keeps us from a spacious life is we stack Appointments and commitments, one on top of the other. We stack appointments and commitments, one on top of the other. It just kills spaciousness. Uh, you know, I have a meeting at one. It goes till two. We start our meeting at two. It goes till, you know, 2.30. At 2.35, we got our next meeting. You know, we just boom, 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 meeting after meeting. I did it for years. I learned a great, great tool for, for this, uh, actually, from uh, a Trappist monastery. And uh, in Christian monastic practice, they have something known as statio, S-T-A-T-I-O. It's basically a pause to denote the moment between moments, the pause between those times when you're doing things. So it's kind of like a mini transition. And every time you go transition from one activity to another, you have a pause or a statio. And you take a moment to kind of surrender yourself to the Lord, uh, be with him. Be prayerful. You're ending something, a meeting you just had, two, maybe it ended. So maybe that ends. Instead of ending at 2 o'clock, you ended at one fifty. You start your next meeting at 2.15 or 2.10. You give yourself 20 minutes between it. Uh, but you're being present with God, with others, and with yourself in a sense of openness. But but it just what kills spaciousness is just stacking, squeezing in meetings and commitments one on top of the other. And then finally, the final trap, number eight, uh, is that we forget that busyness and hurry are among the greatest enemies of a deep spirituality. The final trap is we forget that busyness and hurry are among the greatest enemies of spirituality. They actually become, they can become quite demonic. Hurry delays the things of God. Vincent de Paul wrote that, a Jesuit priest in the 17th century. Uh, it just kills it. I, I love when Eugene Peterson wrote many years ago that when a, the idea of a busy pastor is a betrayal, it's like saying the adulterous pastor or the embezzling pastor. It's an outrageous scandal, he said. He called it blasphemy uh, to be busy and to be a pastor, or I'll say to be a Christian leader because we represent Jesus. We're in the name of Jesus, and Jesus was not in a rush. He 
You know, the great book by his Japanese theologian called The Three Mile an Hour God. Jesus walked three miles an hour. Uh, he walked everywhere and it was very slow. Uh, and he got everything done the Father asked him to do. And we've got to slow down so we can actually catch up with God. Uh, Eugene Peterson quotes Hillary of Tours, who diagnosed pastoral busyness as a blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. All right, listen, I I've given you eight traps, which are my leading eight traps that keep me from a spacious life. And I'm not I'm not all accomplished. I don't believe we'll, we'll fully live this until we get to heaven. There's no perfectionism. Thomas Aquinas was right. This, the mixed life that is a contemplative life while being active is the most challenging of all the lives. In other words, if you're just going to be an active person who's not seeking to actually abide in Jesus all day long, that's easy, Thomas Aquinas wrote. Or if you want to just be a contemplative, be a monk living behind uh, walls, and not be active at all, that's easier. But to be a person in the world who's a contemplative activist, that is the most challenging of all. It requires great grace uh, from God and, and a, a life of rigorous, basically learning and growing. So you want to be listening and learning when you get when you find yourself off track, because you will occasionally get off track. You'll find yourself, oh, overcommitted, the stress in your body, too much life went out of me, I'm exhausted. I'm, why am I rushing? What was I trying to bypass? But you've got to pause and learn when you get off track. Journal what happened so you can learn that lesson. Why didn't I compensate after that big commitment and give myself an extra two days off? Or why was I, what was I anxious about that I was rushing? And you want to slow it down. Remember, the body's not a minor prophet. It's a major prophet. God speaks through our very physical beings. We don't get it right all the time. That's why it's important that we monitor Get some anchors in your life. Again, offices, silence, journaling, rule of life, sabbaticals. Uh, but we want to model and offer the greatest gift we can give the people that we lead. And that is that we're, our lives are spacious. Because if we can become spacious by the grace of God, it will give people hope that they too can live a spacious, roomy life in God for his glory and his honor. So again, as we close here, let me invite you to download uh, our little booklet. Uh, it's a very you can you can print it, put it in your phone as a uh, you know to refer to, and it's a daily office, three times a day to help you pause and get some space in your day, out of which you can hopefully translate into a larger life. Again, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org/dailyoffice, and uh, so you can slow down and meet with God. You can pull it out three times a day to get you started. Thank you so much for being with us. It's been a pleasure. Uh, let me invite you again, send in questions to me at askpete at emotionallyhealthy.org. Many of you have done that. Some of you have given me some wonderful topics to address uh, in future podcasts. We read them all and respond to you as God enables us. So blessings to you. Have a wonderful day.